I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The following podcast is a member of the Great Big Owl family. This will certainly have an adult theme and might well contain strong scenes of sex or violence, which could be quite graphic. It may also contain some very explicit language, which will frequently mean sexual swear words. What do you like listening to? Um... <laughs> chart music. <laughs> chart music. Lestarsky and Hutch, annual 1978 a book which is being devoured by the youth of Britain on this afternoon of December the 25th, 1977. Chocolate pancakes. Make a batter with two ounces of flour, two tablespoons of milk, two egg whites and four egg yolks. Add sugar and a pinch of salt, then beat well with two tablespoons of cream. With this batter, fry some very thin small pancakes, browning one side only. Lay them on a dish, unfried side upwards. Grate enough chocolate over them to cover tops completely. Roll them up, dust with caster sugar, put them in a long buttered fireproof dish and bake in moderate oven for 20 minutes. 375F, gas mark 5. <laughs> hey up, you pop-crazed youngsters, and it is now time for the final part of this deep dive into the 1977 Top of the Pops Christmas special. I'm here with my confederates Taylor Pox and Neil Kulkane, and as we've learned, the ravers have lied to us, for it is not going to be a punk rock. Christmas. Not now, <laughs> not ever, but on, on we plunge. The first number one of this year. On this very special day, Legs and Co. have invited a special friend along to help them move to the sounds of Stevie Wonder and Sir Duke. Flags up the second appearance of Legs and Co. and warns us that they've brought a special friend along with them as he introduces Sir Duke by Stevie Wonder. We haven't covered Steve and Morris enough on chart music, and this single, dedicated to Duke Ellington amongst others, became his highest performing single in the UK since Yester Me, Yester You, Yesterday got to number two in December of 1969. It was the second cut from the LP Songs in the Key of Life and follow-up to I Wish and got to number two in May of this year, held off number one by Free by Denise Williams. And here, 
for their second shift come Legs and Co. with a special appearance by Floyd Pierce, formerly of Ruby Flipper, who was popped in to take over the reins. <laughs> and to paraphrase the great Schoolie D, I look into the mirror, I say, damn, Santa was a black man. <laughs> it's Floyd! Yeah, it's... It's really something, this clip, isn't it? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I'm actually disturbed by how erotic this really is. Mm. Um, we saw on last year's Christmas special that that we did yeah. how this time of year seemed to push some kind of switch in Flick Colby's psyche yes. or libido and inspire these routines which are authentically sexy rather than... Mm the usual chuckling parodies of sexiness, right? So last yeah. time we got that slow-motion lesbian orgy in Narnia yes. mm. to the sound of <laughs> Dancing Queen. And this year it's uh, it's festive fetish night on the snowy <laughs> rooftops yes. while the city yeah. sleeps. And somehow, despite its playfulness and its overt silliness, it, again, inspires that deep, dark, staring silence from heterosexual male viewers, <laughs> which is a response they were usually quite careful to avoid, um, mm. you know, with the painted on smiles and the self-conscious air that this is only larking about. Um, yeah. But, yeah, this time it, it kind of hits you in parts of the body they usually try and steer clear of. But season's <laughs> greetings, eh? Mm. Um, except I don't know whether to thank her for this because there are certain feelings you don't necessarily need at 10 to 4 in the afternoon <laughs> surrounded by your family. 10 to 3. You know, with your half-dead gran snoring in a torn paper app three feet away from you. You know, when you're trying to be a different person. And Legs and Co. were always walking a line in that titillation is about mm. balance and control. Uh, yeah. It's a, you know, a hint of the carnal but delivered with a friendly wink. And one step over that line can just change the mood entirely. <laughs> like actual pornography. If you leave aside the sex industry and its uh, sometimes dubious practices, the end product, right, by which I mean, you know, any artistic or pseudo-artistic or non-artistic content which just empties the brain of everything except sex and mm. temporarily flings open the doors of the psyche and lets all the filth pour, pour free. That can be a healthy or an unhealthy thing depending on various factors, and the main one is context. Because mm. it's like if you get pissed on a Friday night in a room with your mates, it's a healthy release. But if you get pissed at 10am on a Tuesday when you're driving a lorry load of nuclear waste, it's a fucking <laughs> disaster. And similarly, if you open that door to your own untrammeled depravity and enter the porn dimension in private, knowing what's what, you can make peace with your own desires uh, and celebrate them. But as soon as pornography shifts into the everyday world and brings those feelings with it, it becomes toxic because suddenly it means something totally different. Um, mm. And inflaming those urges, especially in men, outside a safe, controlled environment can be bad in all sorts of ways. And, you know, even for yourself, at the very least, it gnaws at the soul and <laughs> at the dreary balance of responsibilities. And it's frankly depressing. 
you know, and it hurts a bit. Um, and that's the trouble when anything slightly oversteps that line. So in that sense, I'm a little bit very gently perturbed by this clip coming out of the blue on Christmas Day, albeit with most of its erotic potential uh, muffled by the, the bromide of a hundredweight of Christmas pudding. Uh, but, you know, also, as always with things of this nature, I have to wonder, is it just me? Like, perhaps to everyone else, this is just a de- delightfully saucy bit of festive fun, you know. I don't there's know. some strange constellation of signs which hits me at an awkward angle. And, I mean, it would be odd because I I don't mind admitting to the pop crazy youngsters, I'm not obsessed with pony girls and I don't mm. have that that creepy white guy thing about interracial sex. And yeah. uh, an icy rooftop does nothing for me. <laughs> And I've tried, you know. But as soon as you start picking at the threads of your own sexuality, your brain starts to unravel, you know. So fuck it. People mm. worry too much about everything to do with pleasure. The only thing, the only things worth worrying about to do with pleasure are, A, is it mutual? And B, where is it? Mm. You know. And But, uh, you know, everyone else expects you to worry, so you worry. But I think in 77, this would have perturbed quite a few people Ooh. for reasons Hell completely yeah. opposite to yours, Taylor. I mean... yeah. You know, the racial politic of this, a black Santa, <laughs> yeah. you know, two lines of mainly white women. And I think I think it becomes dead sexy down to a tiny little detail. It's the heels. The heels are really yeah. important mm. to making it sexy. Um, but this black Santa with a quite a flamboyant, outwardly sexual performance, these two lines of white ladies, that would have had, you, you know, that oh. would have had your gammons apoplectic. Um, yes. you know, before their Christmas dinner. Oh, to, just to think he came into our kid's bedroom <laughs> last night. <laughs> but unbelievably, this is the second appearance of a black Santa on BBC One today, and it's only fucking 25 to 3. Only half an hour ago on Are You Being Served, Mr Granger won the Santa competition after he couldn't remove his makeup after playing the part of a black and white I minstrel see. in the Grace Brothers Christmas Review. Oh, dear God. And Mr Grace decided that he'd send someone out to, to pull a child off the streets to pick out the best Santa. And, oh, would you believe it? It was a black oh, oh, boy. Oh, 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 Holy oh, Christ. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah. I mean, maybe some viewers would have seen this as an oblique BBC reference BBC One just that. ruining Christmas for us. <laughs> that, I mean, it, it, it's I, I was watching this, um, feeling faintly aroused, but also wondering, <laughs> is it the same rooftop used by Morecambe and Wise in that, uh, <laughs> you know, the routine where they're both cool. um, reindeer and Bruce Forsyth comes out the chimney at the end of it and starts whipping them? Yeah. I, it, looks ex- <laughs> it looks exactly the same as that. Did that turn um, you on, Neil? No comment. But, um, yeah, it looked like exactly the same set. I mean, the fact that we've we've spent sort of five minutes talking about this dance routine shows how effective it is because we're we're not talking about the fucking amazing record that they're they're dancing along to. No, 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 no. We won't throw for a little while longer because, you know, Floyd... (laughs) He's been, you know, he was asked out of uh, Ruby Flipper mm-hmm. all about fourteen or so months ago. But you know, he's he's been he's been quite a regular on top of the pops in nineteen seventy seven. He, he was he was always drafted in when they needed a lad. You mm. know, he was obviously the best dancer, uh, the best male dancer on Ruby Flipper. In any case, he'd been on Lonely Boy by Andrew Gold in April. You're gonna get Next to Me by Bo Kirkland and Ruth Davis in June, and I Feel Love by Donna Summer in August. Right. And here he is again 
I mean, the thing that, that offends me, that he, he's only got a moustache, not a beard. What's going on there? <laughs> he's, he's got a proper um, village people yeah, moustache yeah. going on, which adds a new dimension to it. But he's, he's, not being really, he's not really being a sexy Santa. It's not about him. No, no, he's, he's not being a sexy Santa, but I think he's being quite libidinous. He's, he's, I'm sure he nearly pinches an arse at one point. <laughs> well, that's what I thought, but he's actually picking up one of the reins. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's only indulging in light bondage, Neil. Nothing to worry about. He's definitely closer to Clarence Carter's backdoor Santa. All the the goodies, Father Christmas, do not touch me. Um, Mm. Than he is to uh, a more traditional uh, department (laughs) store. uh, Yeah, and Legs and Co. They're um, they're in a silver bra and pants set mm. with bits of fur hanging off the sides they've got silver reindeer horns on a fur lined hat silver gloves and matching boots and uh, oh dear once again they're doing that pause up thing that they did when portraying <laughs> yeah. cats yeah. their interpretation of stray cats straw a few years later yeah. i mean with cats you can just about get away with it but reindeer no Mm. Reindeer mm. walking on their back legs, <laughs> but the performance is very Rudolph. <laughs> <laughs> but most of the dancing is left to Floyd. Mostly, what they do is chorus line type stuff, yeah, uh, skipping around because you can't really do much else in those shoes. No. Um, but the shoes, to me, yeah, they're the things that um, improve my satisfaction quotient by a good seventy five percent. I would say, yeah. But the song's good. The song's great. The song's fucking amazing. But I mean, you know, the weird thing with Stevie is this album that it comes from, Songs in the Key of Life, is probably now my favourite Stevie record. But I remember it being the first 70s Stevie that I picked up retrospectively in the mid-80s, entranced as I was by Paul Gambaccini's 100 Greatest Albums book. Um, I went straight to that one. And I shouldn't have, actually. Great though that album is, don't get me wrong. I should have gone to Talking Book or Innovisions first um, because there were still moments Mm. in Songs in the Key of Life that I wasn't old enough to accept in a sense. Or or, or I still had that residual distaste for 80s Stevie that I could still sort of hear there. But I mean, fuck Mm. me, what an amazing album and what a tune. If you you don't dance to this... You're not a human being. It's it's yeah. one of those. the The only no. thing, as an old fart fan now, is that I actually found Legs and Co's steps when Stevie's singing the line about um, Satchmo and Basie and Ella. I found them a little disrespectful, yeah. to be honest with you. I thought they should have been far more serious at that right. point in the song. But it's a but it's a corker. They should have just stood still and put their hands over their hearts and bowed their heads. Well, no, I th- I was expecting them to do like trombone type movements and like musical instrument type movements, but they didn't. Although in in the context of this routine, that might have looked a little bit uh, <laughs> even more a bit strange, risque. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, I guess so. I guess so. I mean, this is the other song that takes me right back to 1977 because it just reminds me of the summer of that year or at least the couple of weeks that my dad had uh, time off work and it would be the time on a tradition of him driving us down to the Golden Ball, locking us in the car. And uh, I think at this point we I, I had a radio or something. There was a mm-hmm. radio that wasn't the car radio, which was not allowed because it would flatten the battery. And this song was on all the fucking time. So when I hear that... I've got the taste of Apollo Cola in my mouth, and uh, <laughs> yeah. I can feel I can feel one of them little travel mastermind pegs in between my finger and thumb <laughs> that I played on my own because my sister didn't want to, which was the most futile thing ever. That game, though, man, it's mind blowing. 
still mm. to this day. I can't. Yeah. My brain actually couldn't cope with it sometimes. Yeah, but there's nothing more futile than playing travel mastermind <laughs> on your own because you've actually had to load the fucking pegs in. You either do that and know what they're going to be, yeah, or you do it with your eyes shut. And then there's no one to tell you how which ones yeah. you got right or wrong. So yeah, fucking seventies <laughs> childhood in a nutshell there. I feel. But yeah, imagine if Santa and Legs and Co had to do that in every house in the world, man. It would take them fucking years to get round. <laughs> Anything else to say? Probably best to leave it there. Yes, Taylor. Yes. The follow up. Another star would only get to number 25 for two weeks in September of this year. And if we're not counting Ebony and Ivory, and we are certainly not, he'd have to wait another seven years before finally getting to number one with, I just called to say I love you. Floyd would make another four appearances in 1978, culminating in another Christmas Day stint, would appear with Legs and Co. in the stud and join them on Larry Grayson's Generation game before becoming a member of the Doogie Squires dozen who backed Lulu on her appearances on the Les Dawson show before joining Hot Gossip. Up now. Oh, I've got a Lucille here. A Luci- oh, talking of Lucille, here's Kenny Rogers. I don't believe it. You couldn't stoop so low. Not oh. so low. In a bar in Toledo, across from the depot, on a bar stool, she took off the rain. I thought I'd get closer, so I walked on over. Edmund stumbles into Kid, but it's not a heart attack, alas. He's doing another joke about a malfunction in his lifts because they're introducing Loose Heel by Kenny Rogers. Born in Houston in 1938, Kenny Rogers was a bassist who joined a jazz trio called the Bobby Doyle Three in the late 50s until they split up in 1965. A year later, he joined the successful folk band, the New Christie Minstrels, who were at the tail end of their career and going through a string of lineup changes, including the addition of Kim Carnes, the Betty Davis Eyes hitmaker. In 1967, two of the Minstrels decided to set up on their own as a rock band called The First Edition and took Rogers with them and immediately took off in the USA. And by the time they made their first appearance in the UK charts with Ruby Don't Take Your Love to Town, which got to number two over here for six weeks in December 1969, January 1970, they were known as Kenny Rogers and the First Edition. The follow-up, Something's Burning, would get to number eight in April of 1970, but they never troubled the UK charts again, and they split up in 1976. Rogers immediately signed a deal with United Artists, surged into the laid-back country style he wanted to do with the first edition for ages, and enjoyed moderate success in the country charts with his debut LP. But this single, taken from his second LP, Kenny Rogers, 
put him over the top, getting to number five in America and taking the number one spot in June of this year from God Save the Queen by the Sex Pistols. Oh, no, actually, it was I Don't Want to Talk About It by Rod Stewart. Wink, wink. (laughs) Kenny Rogers, we get a video and it seems to be made specially for, um, for this episode if not for Top of the Pops. I'm actually disturbed by how erotic this really is. <laughs> it's weird, though, isn't it? It's really weird. I don't know what this clip is. There's clearly not a live band playing. No. But there does seem to be a live vocal to begin with. Yes. Because you hear that roomy, ambient sound on the voice. Mm. And then he walks over to the bar stall yeah. in this sort of bar where it's set, and you hear his footsteps mm. from yeah. his black slip-on shoes with a bit of a heel on it. Mm. Um, then he sits down on it and you hear the leather squash down yeah. and the wood creaking. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's strange to go in and out of realities like that, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, Kenny's, Kenny's on his own in a posh bar, um, presumably in London or in, in the UK, because there's a bottle of Pims on the back bar, which there's very little call for in Toledo. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, hey, boy, give me one of them Pims. <laughs> And a, a bottle of J&B gets a nice bit of product. Yes. Mm. It's funny, you go around the world, J&B is still one of the top brands of scotch, mm. whereas here it's practically gone the same way as Cutty's Art yeah. or, or White Horse, which I don't get when yeah. the top-selling brand is that fucking creosote they call Bell's. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, you do see J&B now. It's in Waitrose. Yeah. Like, priced up like it's something fancy, mm. you know. No, the point is, it's a pale sweet scotch that's nice in Coke, and it's not fancy at all. Although, speaking of drinks, you saw there's a glass of orange juice mm. on the end of that bar, with a, or maybe vodka and orange, mm. with a stirrer in it. Yeah. Sort of about three-quarter full, as if there were some women in this bar, mm. but for some reason they've left in a hurry yeah. without <laughs> b- bothering to finish their drinks. The backing track clearly isn't provided by the Top of the Pops Orchestra. Because they would no. be fucking four deep at that bar. <laughs> Kenny would be poking his head above them. Well, the crisps are being ripped open. <laughs> I mean, the footsteps and the creaky chair are really fucking weird, aren't they? Mm. Um, suits a weird record. Because like Ruby Tone, Take You Love to Town, this has mm. got this broken man thing to it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Kenny Rogers with his doleful, sad polar bear like eyes almost mm. he's the perfect person to deliver it it's a weird record yeah because i mean kenny rogers for me gets mashed up with an assortment in this period late 70s of bearded american gentlemen yeah. including jock ewing and grizzly adam yes and various people you know he, he's kind of indistinguishable from, from these people and it's a weird song anyway when when the 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 singer of the song witnesses you know lucille's um husband imploring her you know, about uh, about five, four hungry children and a crop in the field. Yeah, that's, it's a strange, strange song. That's impressive cock-blocking, isn't it? <laughs> what is the crop? I mean, if it's sorghum or tabacky, yeah. then I guess he can't feed his kids. <laughs> but if he could, like, just harvest it himself, he could fucking feed his kids, you lazy bastard. So mm. it's, a weird, it's a weird, weird song, this. With a really... I mean, this has got to be the strangest... Thing I've seen on top of the pops in a long, long time. Yes. Just for, just by dint of that creakiness, what is happening here? Are we hearing the record? Are we hearing a, as a kid? This would have put me in loads of confusion. Mm. Yeah, it's this particular strain of music 
it's it's generally overlooked now a bit, isn't it? Because mm. it's not pure old fashioned country, no. so it's no good for mm. hipsters. And it's not really country rock. It's just that very straight, radio friendly, middle of the road country pop, which yeah. you know, which was country music as far as the mainstream country audience yeah. was concerned yeah. for many years. I mean, country was huge in Britain in 1977. There was always you know, sing country and all that kind of stuff was on BBC mm. Two. Yeah. Essentially down to Ted Mams and Dance calming down a bit, yeah, but yeah, still yeah. wanting mm. something mm. American. Yeah. Yeah, and then as now. It was huge in America, but almost underground at the same time. Mm. You know, like these people selling out, you know, 30,000-seater places and no one's ever heard of them. Yeah. You know? <laughs> There's still people like that now. Um And, you know, maybe you couldn't make it through a whole album of this stuff, at least not by the same artiste but it's a genre where a lot of really great singles yeah can be found. i mean this yeah. is this is what gave us jolene you know mm. this style of yeah. music and that and ruby don't take your love to town and this isn't quite up there but it's okay and if you're not too squeamish about big guts hanging over big belts and <laughs> you know the the the, the self-pitying tears of the great american patriarch then I don't see what there is to dislike about this record. I yeah. mean, there's there's oceans of worthless mainstream 1970s adult orientated country that you can swim through before you get to genuinely talented people like Kenny Rogers. The best know. way to access that kind of music, great 70s country, is by a compilation with a cowboy on the front of it yeah. or something like that. <laughs> that will be called Country's Greatest Hits. It's guaranteed to have um, like Joe South games people play on it, and it'll have. Um, Dolly Parton coat of many colours on it maybe and also Jolene but it will also have a fine time to leave me Lucille and it will probably also have Ruby Don't Take Your Love to Town on it because some of those 70s country singles are fucking brilliant yes yeah 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 but the thing about popular country music it's a straightforward force do you know what I mean it's Mm. bluff and it's kind of artless in a way Mm -hmm. and some people are uncomfortable with that Um, or they're so terrified of the idea of the southern US white proletariat that just the sound of a pedal steel it's like a fistful of rings swinging at you you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> which is a bit unfair to most of the country greats not quite all of them but most of them mm. what I like about this like the ABBA record it's unusual in that it only makes sense emotionally to adults mm. um Although, unlike that song, this one is hard to take completely seriously. Just the idea that you would tell this story like this, right? It's mm. basically, oh, I was chatting up this woman in a bar, and while I was doing it, her husband came in, and they separated while I was sat there <laughs> chatting her up. And he, Oh, he was visibly heartbroken. And then, how weird is this? When he then left, and we immediately afterwards went off to fuck, it just didn't feel quite right. Mm. Oh, what's what's wrong with me? You know, it's yeah. Yeah. a very strange scenario. Yeah. And it's hard to gauge how seriously you're meant to take it. I mean, I suspect 100%, but I can't be absolutely sure. But it does chime for those over 35 in a way it couldn't for luckier people. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. there's just that feel of genuine tiredness with life. And a sort of hard um, Jack Reganish acceptance of of the world, of a and of a romantic world where everyone, including yourself, looks a bit rough and is damaged. 
physically yeah. Yeah, yeah. and emotionally. Yeah. And that's quite un-pop. And the, obviously the genius of ABBA is that they can pull it off within pop and the very best pop, uh, whereas no one involved with this record is a genius. But it's, it's nice to have a bit of that sometimes mm. when yeah. somebody can properly pull it off, you know. And the ending, the ending sorry, is really, really key because mm. it ends with a note of moral doubt and, and impotence, basically. He can't get it up yeah. because he's thinking yeah. of this This guy's walked out. It's a similarly startling ending to, to you know, the last line of Ruby, Don't Take You Love to Town, that, that for God's sake, turn around yeah. line. It's such yeah. an odd end to a record, and, it, and it's got the same sort of feel here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's a, a much better kind of adult music than the usual kind, right, for proper grown-ups, which is usually just a symptom of surrender to all the avoidable calamities of midlife, right? Like complacency and coziness and loss of focus Mm. and loss of self-awareness. And this isn't that. Whatever else you can say about it, you know. This is a record which has come to terms with the unavoidable calamities of midlife and with scars and grey whiskers. You know, but it can still feel like the king of the castle if it just has one little drink, you know. And that's probably easier to do in country music, not just because it's a pretty age-tolerant genre, but emotionally, because it's got that grounded feel and the reassuring inevitability of the melody lines, which always resolve and don't make a fuss. And within that setup and that security musically, you feel as though you can face almost anything. Mm. You know? And again, like many country songs that were hits around about this time, you know, you're hooked in by the story on the first listen. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Not so much the seventh or eighth or ninth or 27th time <laughs> you hear it, of course, but, you know, there you go. Oh, um, Uncle Jesse in the Dukes of Hazzard as well, Neil. Uncle Jesse, of course. Yeah. So Lucille would only stay at number one for one week, taken down by Show You The Way To Go by The Jacksons. The follow-up, Daytime Friends, would only get to number 39 in September of this year and he drifted away from the charts until Coward of the County got to number one for two weeks in February of 1980. With four hungry children and a crop in the field I've had some bad times Lived through some sad this time you heard me. You picked a fine time to leave me. Yes, Kenny Rogers, of course, and Lucy. I hope you're enjoying this review of 77, Christmas Day edition of Top of the Pops. Let's go on with the number one sound from Baccarat. Edmunds hopes that we're having a lovely afternoon, which is nice, and introduces Yes Sir I Can Booger by Baccarat. We've already covered Baccarat, Baccarat, hoo hoo hoo, I thought it was the Osmonds, fuck off Edmunds! And this song on chart music number 23, mm-hmm. with us three. 
It got to number one in October of this year after wrestling David Soul and Silver Lady off the top of most of the popper most. And here they are again. So, yeah, th- this was always going to happen at some point, wasn't it, chaps? Mm, yeah. Yeah. There are going to be songs that crop up on separate episodes. But usually it's like, oh, well, you know, there's someone else here who hasn't talked about it. But, you know, here we are. We've already talked about this, so uh, yeah, let's get it over with quickly. I wouldn't have minded if it was a song that um, I liked, but I don't. Mm. I don't like this. I still don't like this song much. Yeah, but Christ, by now at the end of the year on Christmas Day, if I were an adult, I would have hated this record. Yes, it's catchy. Yeah. Yes, it yeah. Velcro like attaches itself to your to your brain. But by the year's yeah. end, that would just be annoying. I would have heard this far far too much. And the performance yeah. would have annoyed me as well because I don't understand the hand gesture for the word boogie um, that mm. they both do. I don't know what they're doing with that. Um, so, yeah. yeah, I would have disliked this record when it came out earlier in the year and I would have been angered by the fact that it's cropped up on them. Top of the Pops at the end of the year too. Mm. All I've got to chuck in is nice set, some kind of rainbowy thing going on mm. and uh, no Top of the Pops orchestra this time. So we, we just get a... I think they just mime into the to the track. Yeah. Probably for the best. Yeah. Basically, just, yeah, go and listen to whatever chart music Chart music number 23. A classic yeah. episode, if I may say so myself. <laughs> Soul Rail Replacement Service. Yeah, the only the only difference, basically, between that and this is they've changed their outfits. Yeah. Um, mm. And now look even more like extras in a low-budget 1970s Euro horror film. You know? <laughs> so basically, it was either this... Or turn up topless and immaculately made up with a steak knife sticking out of the sternum <laughs> and a, with a, a shabby, poorly dubbed detective standing over him going, this killer is a sexual deviant. <laughs> the taking of human life excites him. You know, that or, or being hosed down naked in a women's prison. Mm. So it's probably fortunate <laughs> for them that they could boogie, mm. you know, even if they're not actually going to. So, yes, Sir, I Can Boogie would only stay at number one for one week before it was slapped down by Name of the Game by ABBA. The follow-up, Sorry I'm a Lady, would get to number eight in February of 1978 and they were done as a chart act in the UK. I can boogie, boogie, boogie all my life. Great Big Owl. What? Great Big Owl. Stop saying that. What about Great Big Owl? It's a family of podcasts. Ooh. Who's in this family? Well, there's Rule of Three. That's us. <laughs> there's Brian and Roger. Hi, Roger. It's Brian. There's the The One Show Show. There's oh, nowhere else nice. you would find a, a four or five minute film about Pine Martins. Yes. Without a sight of one Pine Martin at all in the film. There's Barry and Angelos. Oh, uh, gooch, gooch, chooch. Yeah. Remember that lovely one. And there's Smirch Pod. Who do you eat first? I think we know. <sighs> well, I know. I don't know if I'd want to eat Lazenby. Basically, look for Great Big Owl on your pod, what's it? Good idea. Have we got a sting? Owls don't sting. Great Big Owl. 
So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Paul McCartney family will be celebrating their Christmas up in Scotland in a big way this year because they're still at number one in their beautiful Mull of Kintyre. Mull of Kintyre Home is strolling in from the sea My desire is on claims to know that the McCartney family are simply having a wonderful Christmas time when for all he knows Paul could be going berserk that John hasn't sent him a card again as he introduces Mull of Kintyre by Wings. We've covered Wings in chart music more than once and this is their 15th single. It's the follow-up to their live cover of Maybe I'm Amazed, which got to number 28 for two weeks in March of this year and was scheduled as a stopgap single while the band were recording their sixth LP, London Town, after the band was reduced to a trio due to two of them pissing off. It's a tribute to Paul McCartney's back garden. It features the Campbelltown pipe band and after entering the charts at number 48 in November, it soared to number five the following week and got to number one in early December and it's now celebrating its fourth week there as this year's Christmas number one. Oh, where to start on this one? Well, it's funny, isn't it? This is a record you quite often hear but almost nobody ever actually listens to. Yeah. Mm. I mean, for fairly good reason. But <laughs> when, you, when you do stop and listen and take it in, a few things are suddenly clear. Right? Firstly, even at his worst, Paul McCartney is a genius in the same way as other sometimes evil geni that we've previously identified, like Elton John, right? but more so. Mm. Like this record has got no artistic worth but it became an instant standard. Um, mm. For many years, this was the best-selling single of all time in Britain without any uh, external driver, like a charity connection or no. a, a tie-in to a major event or something. And that really doesn't happen by accident. I mean, this no. is an insultingly simple and unexciting song, but with with no effort or care, he's created something which does stick in your head, mm. does have a strong melody or albeit, you know, strong in the same way as the smell of rotting cat food, and <laughs> and just feels like a massive and hugely popular hit. Mm. Um, and, a, you know, a simple, worthless smash hit is something that every idiot thinks they could create themselves until they try it. And mm. and the, the other thing that strikes you when you properly listen to this is that, like so many Paul McCartney songs, it's supposedly simple and direct emotional appeal is all pretend, and it's all emerging from a mask. It's a a song of nostalgia for a Highland past, which is not his. Right? <laughs> He's in character, sneakily, as usual. Um, like Sweet through the heather, like deer in the glen, 
carry me back to the days I knew then. So he only bought this place as a tax dodge, you know, and he <laughs> hardly went there until the 70s. And he's coming on like a kilted old laird in a leather armchair, you know, underneath a painting of his great-grandfather banging his stick on the ground. And so rarely could Paul McCartney say anything in song, even something as basic as, I like my house in the country. Yes. It's dead nice up there. Without doing this, without creating oh, a cut-out yeah, character. Oh, God, this is country house of the 70s, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but it... This brings you to the third thing that you realise when you listen to this record, which is a familiar thought to uh, Wings Watchers. It's just, what the fuck did he think he was doing? Mm. Like, what was going on in his long head? It's Paul McCartney is still alive because he stayed sane. Mm. And to do that, he first had to go slightly mad and then maintain that level of insanity. Right. I think if Paul McCartney hadn't been this weird, he may have been yet another casualty of rock. Mm. Mm. So this is the price we pay for his continued happiness. <laughs> there is a, an evil genius. Not, maybe not necessarily evil, but there is a genius to this record. I mean, I'd like to stress I don't like it. And by the end of the year of 77, you could not buy a chart compilation without this on it, front and centre. Yeah. I mean, I remember at the time liking it initially, as you do, and then mm. hating it. It's perhaps my first apprehensions at a young age. As it was with the similar, in a way, Sailing by Rod Stewart, that mm. a song that sticks around and doesn't go anywhere, in a, and I don't mean go anywhere within the song, I mean it just stays at the fucking top of the charts for ages. Because mm. this is like four weeks in now, number one, yeah. and it's got another five weeks, hasn't it, I think? Yes, it has, um, yeah. So that can get massively annoying. And also at that age, I had utter confusion about the lyrics. I didn't know what a mull of Kintyre was. No. And I didn't even realise it was a place to a certain extent. But yeah, like Taylor says, apart from charity records and death records, this was the biggest selling UK single of all time. And it is the genius of Paul, I think, to hit upon something really special. And that's the ability to make a song that would appeal to people who don't even like music. Um, so or people, Scotland. Or Scotland. But I mean, <laughs> no, I mean, people who perhaps did not buy a record that year will have bought yeah. this. Because yes. its tune is simple and it returns. Mm. It's infantile melodically in a way, just two chords. The bagpipes yeah. would have reassured that kind of silent majority audience that this record had um, yeah. as well. Um, I mean, obviously... Oh, yeah, so it's Amazing Grace again, isn't it? Yeah, this is it. And it's a simple song with single-syllable words, mainly. And it, and it feels less... What Paul manages to do is, is create a song here that feels like it has existed before, in a way. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, and that's really... You know, that is an incredibly difficult thing to do. I absolutely don't ever want to hear it again. Yeah. <laughs> But I can understand why in the bleak midwinter of 77, a song about home, a song about getting home and going home and loving your home would have been appealing, especially when couched in such a musically instantly understandable and simple form as this. So I begrudgingly quite, yeah, I mean, I think all of us have to begrudgingly, you know, nod our heads that, that, Paul was a genius at doing this kind of thing, of creating these mm. records that, that didn't just appeal. It, it's not even important that whether it appealed to people like us or, pe or music fans. This yeah. was just a record that kind of all sorts of people could, could buy into 
and and yeah. that's why it was so hugely successful. It's a real skill doing that. McCartney would spend most of the eighties trying to have the big Christmas hit. Mm. Uh, you know, as Simon said uh, in a previous chart music when we did Pipes of Peace, I think it was Simon. You know, he really wanted to be part of your Christmas. Yeah, and this did the trick for him, big star, because it's a convivial song. It is an arms round your mates in the pub, sway along kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, also, yeah. it's British country music, isn't it? Yeah, it yeah, is, yeah. yeah. I think part of my problem is that I don't feel the Scottishness of it in a nice way. I mean, despite my um, starey, pale blue eyes and unhealthy complexion, <laughs> suggesting I have at least some Scottish blood, uh-huh. um, I'm not really a fan of the Scottish Highlands. I mean, appealing as the country looks post-election, those yes. big, those big empty, misty hills and mm. rocks, which people find so good for the soul. It just looks like death to me. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to be there. Um, Do you like shortbread? Um, I'm not allowed to eat it anymore. Oh. It's just it gets worse. I mean, but the the worst moment of this record of course, is when the pipes come in. Mm. But, I mean, that's the worst moment of any given day. And it's, <laughs> it's all the worse for that warning blast you get first, right? Yeah, yeah. Which is like the <laughs> scream of a doodle bug, like informing you that you're you get in under for the it. table. Yeah, and it, it's that same feeling of rapidly gathering misery as when you hear upstairs washing machine going onto the spin cycle. <laughs> <laughs> so you know something horrible's coming. And then the fucking pipers walk on. And I just, every one of those bastards belongs in a transparent plastic tube yes. on sale <laughs> next to a tin of shortbread, uh, a gonk in a tam o shanter, yes. uh, a jigsaw of Cumbern Old Town Centre, <laughs> and, um, and a packet of novelty Elastoplast bearing the slogan, Glasgow's Miles Better. Yes. Um, and I don't think they're even very good pipers. Um, I don't even know that there is such a thing, but I do know that he just went down to the nearest town and yeah. got the local pipe band. He didn't seek out the kings of the bagpipe scene. No. You know? <laughs> so for all I know, to a, a bagpipe connoisseur, this might sound pretty much like it sounds to the rest of us. Yeah. Um, like 20 pneumatic drills heard through a concussion. But what I do know is that being Paul tight as an otter's pocket, he paid them about 20 quid each, yeah. which uh, mm. is fair enough. And you do get only get a flat fee for session work, and there are, there are quite a lot of them. But it's quite funny considering that it sold about 10 million copies an hour <laughs> and they would still have been eating bannocks in front of the three-bar <laughs> fire in black and white, like two miles away from his house. <laughs> I mean, we get the video for this, which is Paul wandering through the mist... Mm. Uh, playing his guitar until he's joined by Denny Lane, also playing his guitar. And then they both discover Linda sitting on a rock and then the pipe band wander through and then it essentially becomes a living shortbread tin, doesn't it? <laughs> it's a big set. It's a big, big set. It makes It's a shame he w- couldn't get Ringo to pretend to be all woolly and sit on a bucket in the distance. <laughs> this is ostensibly kind of like a down... Not a down-home song, but it's a simple little song. But the set belies that because it's huge. Mm. It's just a big, yes. big video, you know. And it It's a big country, Neil. It is. It is a big country. But, I mean, you know, I, I wondered why they couldn't, like, film it in the genuine Highlands. Um, yeah. I'm guessing because it wouldn't have looked quite as nice. It wouldn't have looked as shortbread tinny, as you mm. say. 
And I wonder how this record went, not went down in Scotland as such, but I remember hearing it an awful lot. And at the time, I was living in an area of Coventry called Stoke Audemore that was was sort of not notorious as such, but it was an area that had a massive, massive sort of Scottish expat population yes. in that part of Coventry. And I, I remember it just hearing it an awful lot, maybe not because mm. of those people, but maybe because of those people. Um, yeah. You know, if you adrift in England, then the sound of the pipes, I guess, the sound of that calling song... calling you, wouldn't they? Well, I'm guessing that was part of its appeal anyway. Um, but that certainly yeah. doesn't account for all of its appeal. I think, yeah, its appeal is mainly, it's a, mu- it's a piece of music designed to appeal to people who don't even like music. Um, mm. it's Those just... bagpipes, though, don't you think that they sound just like the guitars and big country records? It's <laughs> 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 amazing. Tell you what, I really, I really feel for my homie, Denny Lane. Um, mm. That professional gooseberry just... <laughs> You know, like third wheel, and he's just walking out of the mist with his mind on that co-writing credit, trying to <laughs> block everything else out. You know, yeah, inside yeah. this grotesque parody of Scottishness, English style, <laughs> like averting yeah. his eyes from Linda's tartan pop socks and <laughs> smiling yes. manfully as he, you know, sings this song and tries to recall those happy times in. Paul's post-apocalyptic farmhouse on the Mull of Kitty. Because, I mean, it, it might possibly be done up quite nice now, but notoriously, back in the 70s, he didn't have electricity in there no. or anything mm. or any heating. Mm. And he dragged the various lineups of wings up there to stay because they'd oh. do pre-tour rehearsals there with a generator in the barn. Mm. Um, and he'd make them sleep in empty brick buildings. On stained mattresses. Um, <laughs> I did it at Hamburg. If it's good enough for me, it's good enough for you. Yeah, I mean, famously, the road crew once got so bored and unhinged and cold that they uh, painted the outline of a, a television on the bare brick wall and sat around watching it. Seriously. <laughs> well, well, meanwhile, Scrooge McCartney and Linda were in the main cottage, sat by the fire. And if it got really cold, they'd light it. <laughs> but no, but Denny's problem was that his missus and Linda McCartney fucking hated each other. Mm, yes. Because um, right. Linda knew that she'd started off as a groupie, trying to have it off with Paul, um, mm. and was maybe a little bit younger and prettier. And it was all a bit awkward, apparently, in, mm-hmm. in that unimaginable paradise of privilege and wealth and security. Mm. So... Yeah, I always feel a little bit for for Denny Lane stuck on the private jet with all the kids running around screaming. It's like he was half a rock star, you know what I mean? (laughs) And of course, this essentially ushers in 1978, which was the most Scottish year ever. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Up until the first half of the Peru game, of course. (laughs) You know, people forget that this was a double A side. It was a double A side in the same way that Wham was a duo. And uh, yes. Gummo was one of the Marx Brothers. It's, yeah, it's the other yeah. side. Girls' there's, School. Yeah, there's a great song called Girls' School, which was um, written after Macca was passing time on an aeroplane on tour, looking at adverts for dirty movies in the back of a magazine. Mm-hmm. And he decided to write a song, which was a synopsis of a porno film about a convent that he had made up in his head. Um <laughs> Now, presumably, he thought this was a good idea to to put something raunchy 
and rocky on the B side of Mullikintyre um, mm. to protect the countercultural image he may still have imagined that he had. <laughs> um, or perhaps more because he thought American radio might have one listen to Mullikintyre and think, what the Sam Hill is this? Uh, yes. I think he was right about that as well because I don't think it was yeah. a very big hit in America. Mm. But the upshot no. was. Millions of grannies ended up with a record in their collection, even if they never played that side, with the opening mm. line, sleepyhead kid sister lying on the floor, 18 years and younger boy, well, she knows what she's waiting for. Now, is that a good thing? Not especially, but it is the kind of cultural detail that, you know, enlivens the overcast pop charts of 1977 and underlines what a terribly confusing person Paul McCartney really was like eternally Mm. bemusing and impossible Mm. to fully understand and of course I've got a bit more fondness for this than you because uh, this is the introductory music at Forest Games is it? Ah. yes yeah because uh, around about this time when Forest were breaking the rest of Division 1 over their knee the terrorist song was City Ground all mist rolling in from the Trent Oh. You see, and they still play it now. So you go to a Forest game, Mullock and Ty will come on and everyone will stand up and belt it out and then they'll sit down and be dead quiet for uh, right, right. for the next <laughs> two hours or so. <laughs> yeah. Because football's rubbish nowadays. I'll tell you what was bothering me for ages. Has there been a number one since this in Walt's time? And Ooh, I thought about good it. good point. Eventually I thought of one. Mistletoe and wine. Oh, Right, a record yes. whose one whose one good point is that it allows you to appreciate the artistry and charm of Mullivkintyre. <laughs> Mullivkintyre would spend nine weeks at number one, giving way to the majesty of Uptown Top Ranking by Althea and Donna in the last week of January 1978. It would become the first single to sell over 2 million copies in the UK and currently stands as the fourth best-selling single in Britain after Candle in the Wind 1997, Do They Know It's Christmas and Bohemian Rhapsody and is still the biggest-selling non-charity single when you knock out the sales figures of the 1991 re-release of Bohemian Rhapsody. The follow-up, With a Little Look, Got to number five in April of 1978, but diminishing returns began to set in and Denny Lane would leave Paul and Linda to get on with it in April of perfect for this time of year, but sadly that about winds up our festive feast of past hit 45s on the programme. I'm right. glad I got that out. Thanks for joining us and I hope you've enjoyed it as, as much as us. Don't forget, 3.25 tomorrow on BBC One for the Boxing Day edition and more hits from 77. We leave you with what probably is the biggest selling Christmas record of all time. Bing Crosby, of course, and White Christmas. Bye-bye. Merry Christmas. Of a white Christmas Just like the one
Kid and Edmonds stand neath the tree. Show part two of Top of the Pops 1977, which will be on tomorrow, and sign off with what else? White Christmas by Bing Crosby. Born Harry Crosby Jr. in Tacoma, Washington in 1903, Bing Crosby was America's highest grossing performer of the 30s and 40s, and this is his biggest hit song from a career spanning 46 years. It was written by Irving Berlin, either in Hollywood or Phoenix, nobody can remember, in 1940, and it was immediately bagsied by Crosby, who sang it for the first time in public on the NBC radio show The Craft Music Hall on Christmas Day 1941, and then forgotten about for a few months, when Crosby recorded it when he was doing the soundtrack for his forthcoming film Holiday Inn, which was released in August of that year. When the film came out, the single immediately got to number one in America at the end of October and would stay there right through the year. But seeing as our charts wouldn't begin for another 10 years, there is no record of how it did over here. Two months before this episode, Crosby died of a heart attack on a golf course near Madrid, so it was blatantly obvious that the single was going to be re-released, and it's currently at number five in the chart. But it's the 1947 re-recording, which was made because the master of the original single had been worn out through countless repressings during <laughs> World War II. And we don't get a clip from either Holiday Inn or... Or White Christmas, the 1954 film that was on BBC One yesterday afternoon. We get to contemplate some oversized balloons, don't we, that show mm. Waddy Waddy had finished with. Yeah, yeah. And by this point, to be honest with you, age five, I would have been out of the room by now. I would have been yeah. setting up my streak track, heard this song too yeah. many times. It's only yeah. as you get older you realise... You know, Ben Crosby's actually, for, for several reasons, a really pivotal figure in the mm. history of pop music and in the history yes. of recording music and in particular his development of the microphone and that close yeah. in intimate conversational crooning style is really important his mm. support of of um, John Mullen who bought back magnetophones from post uh, World War II Germany and, and then his passing yeah. on of those machines to, to Les Paul was hugely important hugely important yeah. and the radio show that you mentioned is obviously it's perhaps the first radio show to be using tape technology to erase things like dead air and to start using things like canned laughter so he's really important um, mm. in the development of recorded sound I just yeah. don't like any of the sounds that he recorded <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I- including this record which is such a standard it's it's be- it, it, it's beyond critical analysis it's beyond any analysis it is just mm. there it is white Christmas it is yeah. going to be part of everyone's Christmas. You're probably going to hear it in the next few weeks. It, there, there it is. Mm. Yeah, no, I'm exactly the same. By this point in this Top of the Pops, there would have been chocolate fingerprint on the Beano <laughs> book. Uh, <laughs> yes. And yeah. Bing would have been crooning this to an empty bean bag uh, <laughs> and an untouched bowl of walnuts. Um, and, yeah, I've mm. never been a fan of Bing Crosby, although, yeah, he was, you know, arguably the first modern singer um, yeah. because he doesn't project. He sings in a way that you only could in the 20th century because of the, you know, electronic wizardry allowing him to stand yeah. in front of a full orchestra and sing quietly. Um, yeah. 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 You know, it's like when 
movie actors suddenly realised they didn't have to mug like David Soul singing a ballad because <laughs> yes. the audience were not 40 feet away anymore. Mm, um, yeah. But yeah, I'm not a big fan of Bing Crosby apart from his name. And you know, his first yeah. wife was called Dixie. I was just off for cocktails at Bing and Dixie's. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it is weird at the end of this episode to suddenly, even such a ballad-heavy episode as this, to suddenly mm. hear someone with a proper voice singing, yeah. a, <laughs> singing a carefully crafted song. And it all seems very laboured and wheezy, which will be how it sounded to the people of 1977. But nothing better illustrates the triumph of pop by this point in history. Um, but you know, you gain something, you lose something. There, there aren't too many pop melod or you know, post rock and roll melodicists who could write mm. such an elegant and effortlessly dreamy hook as the first two lines of this song. Like the the gentle tensions uh, and yearning and the rise and fall in the music, um, mm. whilst being so simple. I guess Brian Wilson, you know, Burt Bacharach. Uh, maybe Paul McCartney, although not this year. Um, mm. But at the same time, no pop record has ever sounded this stiff and repressed because it's <laughs> 1942 and you you can't yeah. really be anything else in public now, you know. Mm. Um, and, of course, when he says he's dreaming of a, a white Christmas, he's not fucking joking because it doesn't get much whiter <laughs> than this record, uh, which is odd considering it was written by a Russian Jewish songwriter. But, you mm. know, mm. probably a majority of 20th century all-American culture uh, is the result of Jewish creativity. It was mostly Jewish immigrants from their families who dragged the old, you know, hymn-singing, country-whooping America into the 20th century and built mm. its modern cultural identity. Um, yeah. But... It's hard to really feel Irving Berlin songs now if you're not American because there's no yeah. link and there's no line from there to here. So mm. you end up admiring the craft but thinking, you know, come on, put a donk on it or <laughs> whatever. <laughs> you know what I mean? Before Charlie Chaplin snuffed it earlier today, uh, Bing Crosby was the last massive celebrity death of 1977, of which there were quite a few. I mean, everyone in your family would have suffered a, a musical loss in 1977. Uh, your mum and dad grieving over Elvis. If you had an older sister, Mark Bolan. Mm. But uh, Bing Crosby really hit home to Nora and Grandpa, I feel. And so it's quite apt that this episode ends with this song because it's this episode, if nothing else, has been the triumph of the grandparents, hasn't it? It has, yeah. And it, it, it's interesting you mention those names. You know, you have to ask. There's been nary a mention of Elvis, you know. Yeah, that's unbelievable, isn't Which it? Which is odd. I mean, I, I don't know whether the, the Boxing Day episode was a, you know, featured Elvis. Well, Wade Down was on it. Right, I see. But it's so mm. odd because, I mean... It goes to show, I don't think Elvis's audience in this country was being catered for by Top of the Pops anymore. Do you know what I mean? They, they were kind of mm. like, it, it, Top of the Pops wasn't for them anymore. To be fair to the BBC, they'd already rammed Elvis up your arse right through Christmas because they'd put one of his <laughs> films on every morning. Right. So, you know, I mean, to me, 1977, the key event of 1977 is Elvis dying far more uh important than the silver jubilee or anything else mm -hmm. so yeah it is very strange not to have the king uh, paying a visit on us on this christmas day 
<laughs> but, you know, RCA didn't seem to think to release Blue Christmas, which is just the fucking most obvious thing to do. And, hmm. and Bing Crosby's record label were uh, obviously a, a lot more savvier. Yeah. It was down to Danny Mirror to speak for all of us. Yes. <laughs> and it is a very weird choice in the, there's two film versions of this song. And BBC have elected to, to use neither of them. But I think they probably did the right thing not showing the clip from the film White Christmas because there is that bit where he takes his pipe and plays the uh, baubles on the Christmas tree, which would have caused a lot of breakages in houses across the country this afternoon. So White Christmas would go on to sell an estimated 50 million copies as a single and 100 million if you factor in its many appearances on compilation LPs. It would be his first solo top 40 hit in the UK since 1957 and his last. But the previous night, his last ever TV show, Bing Crosby's Merry Old Christmas, was screened on ITV, featuring Twigger, Ron Mooder, Stanley Baxter and the duet sung by Crosby and David Bowie, Peace on Earth, Little Drummer Boy, which was released five years later and got to number three on Christmas week of 1982. And that concludes this episode of Top of the Pops. What's on telly afterwards? Well, BBC One pile into the Queen's speech, where she thanks everyone for giving her arse an extra special lick this year, and then gets stuck into Billy Smart's Christmas Circus, The Wizard of Oz, and then Basil Through the Looking Glass, the Lewis Carroll tale recast by the King of Foxes himself. After five minutes of news, it's a Songs of Praise family carol special from the Royal Albert Hall, the Christmas Generation game, the Mike Yarwood Christmas show with special guest Paul McCartney and Wings, and then the last ever Morecambe and Wise Christmas show on the BBC, featuring Angela Rippon getting her legs out again, Arthur Lowe, John Le Misurier and John Laurie in a sauna, the There's Nothing Like a Dame number with practically every male BBC presenter of the era, and Elton John singing in a deserted studio at the end. Those last two shows pulled down 28 million viewers, by the way. After the news... With Angela Rippon, they finish off the night with the 1968 Barbara Streisand film, Funny Girl. BBC Two is running Alpha Omega, the Bruno Bozzetto cartoon about the life of a man from childhood to old age, followed by the lively arts in performance, where the Marseille Opera and the Ballet de Marseille have a go at Capelia. Then it's In Deepest Britain, a documentary about some geese on the south coast. Then Celebration, a clip show about the Jubilee. A repeat of the Queen's speech. The 1976 Australian film Storm Boy, about a lad who looks after some pelican chicks. Then a repeat of Thanks for the Memory, a collection of clips of the general public talking about telly and their memories of it over the past 25 years. Then it's A Christmas Past, a collection of homemade movie clips from the 20s and 30s, followed by Country Holiday with Crystal Gale, Larry Gatlin and George Hamilton IV, and they round off the day with the 1946 Humphrey Bogart film The Big Sleep. ITV gets the Queen's speech out of the way before Frank Muir introduces To See Such Fun, a clip show of British comedy films from the 40s to the 60s. Then it's Emu's Christmas Adventure, featuring Arthur Lowe, Jack Douglas and Henry McGee. Then the news, then the Muppet Show with our very special guest star, Julie Andrews. 
After a seasonal sale of the century, it stars on Christmas Day, a festive episode of Stars on Sunday, which shoehorns a clip of Bing Crosby from last year, amongst contributions by Gracie Fields, John Mills, Harry Seacombe and Don Estelle. Then it's the evening film, the 1972 biopic Young Winston, which is on for nearly three hours. After the news, it's Stanley Baxter's greatest hits and they close out the night with celebration, more God-bothering from Wales and a Christmas message from Dr Donald Coggan, the Archbishop of Canterbury. Fucking hell. So much religious rumble mm-hmm. on the telly. What's going on? What's going on with Young Winston for three hours as well? Jeez Louise. I know. ITV have... They're blown it. ITV have ballsed it up this year, man. BBC One all the way in our ass. that'd be. Fucking hell, imagine something going on for three hours. Nobody's going <laughs> to make it through the whole of <laughs> But, I mean, they're probably looking at Morecambe and Wise Mighty Arwood just thinking, BBC have this, you know. Doesn't matter what we put on, let's just put on some shite that's cheap. So, me boys, what are we talking about while we're trying not to fall off our skateboards in the street this afternoon? Seriously, not a lot. Maybe um, uh, Magic Fly. Mm. Maybe. But there's nothing to snag you here as a young person. No. no. It's it's for grannies and, and granddads. Yeah. So, yes. I, I don't think I'd have been talking... I'd probably been talking about how rubbish it was. Yeah. yeah. Total lack of anything... Outrageous, even playfully so. Unless you count legs and co, bridled up in Baker foil mm-hmm. knickers. But other than that, yeah, this is a slump. <laughs> this is yeah. be a Christmas afternoon slump. And what are we buying with our record tokens on Boxing Day? Uh, if 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 the record shops open on Boxing Day, it might not be. Abba, uh, Denise, and maybe Space. Yeah. Same. But that's about it, because I'm not made of money. (laughs) (laughs) And what does this episode tell us about 1977? Apart from the total domination of punk. (laughs) Well, that's that's the major thing. Pop is still triumphant, in a sense. Mm. Although it's not really pop. I mean, pop in the strictly popular sense, if you like. So we have these dreary, slow, undanceable records that have dominated the year. By Mm. David Soul, by Wings... By, you know, these records for people who kind of perhaps aren't in at pop music that much. Um, pop goes on. Punk is a minority concern and, mm. and, and doesn't even get close to this episode. Yeah. Um, you know, and I suspect that even if, if, even if a punk band had had a number two or number one hit that wasn't God Save the Queen, mm. I don't think they'd have got on. It, w- it, it would have interfered with the vibe of this show, especially yeah. because the vibe of the show is odd and haunted. Because it's a deserted studio. So mm. punk was never going to work in that sort of scenario anyway. No. So rumours of the punkness of 1977, though to ex-punks may be really, really important, to the rest of Britain, yeah, there weren't that many punks about. There was just one house, the punk house, and that was yes. it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, if you looked at this, you'd, you'd think, fucking hell, weren't you allowed in record shops under the age of 35 in 1977? Yeah. Yeah, and you'd have no clue what had happened in that year that was interesting. You'd mm. also have no clue as to what's going to happen in 78. Yeah, um, I mean, this because because they've, they've, they've split it up into two parts. Yeah. You know, uh, there's a lot of good shit that we would have had an absolute ball talking about in that episode. You know, I Feel Love, uh, Way Down, you know, stuff like that. Mm. But this one, it is proper fucking non-arbate. The, the good old pops, if you will. <laughs> 
And that, me ducks, is the end of this episode of Chart Music. All that remains for me to say now is www.chart-music.co.uk. You can get us on facebook.com slash chartmusicpodcast. Reach out to us on Twitter at chartmusictotp and shove some money down that G-string at patreon.com slash chartmusic. Thank you, Taylor Parks. Let the magic of Christmas bring God's peace to you and yours and to the world. <laughs> Ta ever so, Neil Kulkarne. Merry Christmas out and a happy new year to all chart music listeners. And on behalf of Simon Price, Sarah B and David Stubbs, my name's Al Needham. We'll see you at some point in January, but until then, stay pop-crazed. <laughs> Chart music. In association with the British Market Research Bureau and the Pop Craze Patreons, the Chart Music Top 40 of 2019. <laughs> At number 40, Daddisfaction. Number 39, it's Tito Jackson's Bollocks. The number 38 act of the year. Bummers like Duran Duran. Good lads. In at 37, Mark Chapman and the Bullets. <laughs> at 36, the Seat Lad out of show Waddy Waddy. At number 35, the Erotic Dreams of Mrs. Slocum. Nice. Number 34, Oasis. <laughs> at number 33, it's Neil Cougar Kulkarne. They're at number 32, the Gug City Slaggers. And residing in the number 31 slot, Pig Wanker General. <laughs> Into the top 30, and at number 30, it's Soul Rail Replacement Service. Number 29, the definitive non-sandwich band. <laughs> Residing at number 28, the Granny Claps. Number 27, Mad Phil and the Gummy Woman. Good to see. They're at number 26, Serving suggestion. Yes. At number 25, it's Gammony Sludge. <laughs> number 24, the Queen's Fanny. <laughs> Standing at number 23 this year, Seven Days Jankers. In at number 22, Granny Wants Your Spunk. At number 21, the Whiff of the Catamite. <laughs> Into the top 20 and at number 20, Quo Waddy Wadde. At number 19, it's Tony Blackburn and the Gay Ones. (laughs) (laughs) 
Remember this from earlier in the year, number 18, the alligators with tits. <laughs> At number 17, Floella Benjamin in a dustbin. <laughs> At number 16, the doolies with ghoulies. At number 15, Simon Price and the receptionist from Hong Kong Fuer. <laughs> yes. At number 14, Lesbian Door Factory. Not bad for a free flexing. A former number one at number 13, Hot Rex. In at number 12, Fred Westlife. <laughs> at number 11, it's Dave D, Creeper, Twat and Cunt. <laughs> The top 10 for 2019 goes like this. At number 10, Jeff Sex. At number 9, Man to Man Meet Al Needham. At number 8, Clit Richard. This year's number 7 act, Chicken Steven. At number 6, Taylor Parks' 20 Romantic Moments. The number five sound of the year, Sarah B and Rakim. At number four, it's Bergerac meets Rockers Uptown. <laughs> Easy now. At number three, here comes Jism. <laughs> At number two, your dark mates, which means Britain's number one. The number one act of 2019. It could only be Bomber Dog. My name's Al Needham. That was 2019 for Chop Music. We'll see you next year. Stay pop crazed. GreatBigOwl.com Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.